Chapter 7, Parts 3 and 4 of J. B. Burry's The Student's Roman Empire, Part 1. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. The Student's Roman Empire, Part 1, by John Bagnell Burry. Chapter 7, Parts 3 and 4. Section 3 the neighboring dependent kingdoms in Syria. Of the imperial provinces, Syria was the most important in the east, as Gaul in the west. The legatus of Syria, on whom it devolved to defend the frontier of the Euphrates against the Parthians, had four legions under him, the same number that was stationed on the Rhine. But it was not only for frontier service that the Syrian troops were needed. They had also to protect the cities and the villages against marauding bands who infested the hills. Hence the legions were quartered in the cities, and not, like the Rhine army, in special military stations on the frontier. And this circumstance was the source of the demoralization and the lack of discipline which marked the Syrian army. But notwithstanding the existence of the hill-robbers, Syria was a most prosperous province. In the way of Hellenization and the colonization, the Seleucid kings had left nothing for the Romans to do. Augustus founded Beirutus in order to provide for veteran soldiers, and it remained an isolated Italian town in the midst of the Greek Asiatics, like Corinth in Greece and Alexandria in the Troad. The Greek names of the towns in Syria recalled Macedonia, as towns in Sicily and Magna Graecia recalled Old Greece, or as names of places in the United States recall the mother country but the older Aramaic names lived on side by side with the new Greek names, and in some cases have outlived them, as, for instance, Heliopolis, which is called Baalbek at the present day. People, too, had double names as well as places. Thomas, who was called Didymus, and Tabitha, also called Dorcas in the New Testament, are familiar examples. The Aramaic tongue continued to be spoken beside Greek, like Celtic beside Latin and Gaul, especially in the remoter districts. From the mixture of Greek and Syrian life, a new mixed type of civilization arose, sometimes called Syrio-Hellenic, and characteristically expressed in the great mausoleum erected on a hill near the Euphrates by Antiochus, king of Comagne. In his epitaph, that monarch praised that upon his posterity may descend the blessings of the gods both of Persis and Machaetus, Persia and Macedonia. In the busy factories of the great Syrian cities, Laodicea, Apamea, Tyre, Beirutus, Byblus, were carried on the manufactures, linen, silk, etc., for which the country was so famous. But Antioch, the capital, was a town of pleasure rather than of work. It was not well situated for commerce, like Alexandria, but it was rich and magnificent, splendidly supplied with water, brightly lit up at night, and full of superb buildings. It, with its suburbs, the gardens of Daphne, was probably the pleasantest town in the empire for the pleasure-seeker. Southern Syria, on its eastern side, bordered on the dependent kingdom of Nabat, which extended from Damascus, encircling Palestine on the east and south, and including the northern portion of the Arabian Peninsula. The regions, however, of Trachontis, between Damascus and Bostra, which had been committed to the charge of Xenodorus, prince of Abila, 
were subsequently transferred by Augustus to the king of Judea, because Zenodorus, instead of suppressing the robbers who infested Trachontus, made common cause with them. Damascus itself, however, was subject to the Nabataean kings, whose capital was the great commercial city of Petra, the midway station through which the caravans of Indian merchandise passed on their road from Lucecoma in Arabia to Gaza. These kings were Arabs, and Hellenism had only superficially touched their court. They had officers named Aparkoi and Strategoi. In the northern part of their realm, Damascus was Greek, and the close neighborhood of Syria brought those border regions on the edge of the desert into connection with Greek civilization. The kings of Petra were always at feud with their neighbors, the kings of Judea. Obadas nearly lost his crown for taking up arms against Herod, instead of appealing to Augustus, their common lord. Civilization did not really begin for this Nabataean kingdom, until, more than a century later, it was at length converted into a Roman province. The kingdom of Judea, restored and bestowed upon Antipater of Idumea by Julius Caesar, had been specially favored by that statesman, being exempted from tribute and military levies. After the death of Antipater, the kingdom was won by his son, Herod, after many struggles. At first the unwilling client of Antonius, and the queen of Egypt, he performed some services in the final contest for Caesar, who not only confirmed him in his kingdom, but enlarged its borders. Samaria was added to Judea, and also the line of coast from Gaza as far as the Tower of Straton, which, afterwards, under Herod's rule, was to become the city of Caesarea, the chief port of southern Syria. Herod, throughout his long reign, prosecuted the work of Hellenism, by no means acceptable to his Jewish subjects, with generous zeal. His policy was to keep religion and the government of the state quite apart, and do away altogether with the Jewish theocracy. There was thus a continuous rivalry between the king and the high priest. The Hellenism of Herod was shown by his building a theater at Jerusalem, and instituting a festival to be celebrated at the end of every fourth year, in imitation of the Greek games. At this festival, musical, as well as gymnastic and equestrian contests were held, and people of every nation were invited. He also imitated the Romans by building an amphitheater in the plain, beneath the city, and exhibiting there combats of wild beasts and condemned criminals. All this was a gross violation of Jewish traditions. Herod founded two new cities, both of which were named after the emperor. Caesarea, already mentioned, intended to be the seaport of Jerusalem, and Sebaste, on the site of Samaria. These cities were of Hellenistic and not Jewish character. The reign of Herod was stained by horrible tragedies which darkened his domestic life. Before his death, which occurred in 4 BC, his kingdom had been increased by the land beyond the Jordan. The whole realm he divided among his three sons. Archelaus was to receive Judea, with Samaria and Idumea. To Philip fell Batania, and the adjacent regions, with the title of Tetrarch, while Galilee and the land beyond the Jordan was assigned to Herod Antipas, also as Tetrarch. But the kingdom was not destined to be of long duration. The Jews preferred to be the direct subjects of the emperor, to being under the rule of a king of their own, and a deputation from Jerusalem waited upon Augustus in Rome to pray him to abolish the kingdom. The emperor at first compromised. He did not remove Archelaus from the government of Judea, 
but he refused him the royal title and deprived him of Samaria. A few years later, however, in consequence of the incapacity of Archelaus, the wishes of the Jews were accomplished, and Judea was made a Roman province, 6 AD, under an imperial procurator, over whom doubtless the legatus of Syria was empowered to exercise a certain supervision, in certain cases, somewhat as the governor of Pannonia might intervene in Noricum. Under the procurator, the city communities were allowed to manage their own affairs, as in Asia or Achaia. In Jerusalem, the Sanhedrin, an institution which had been founded under the Seleucids, corresponded to the town council, and the high priest, appointed by the procurator to the chief magistrate. Everything possible was done, under the new system, to respect and deal tenderly with the customs and prejudices of the Jews. Out of consideration for their objection to images, the coins did not bear the emperor's head, and when Roman soldiers went to Jerusalem, they had to leave their standards behind them in Caesarea. The difference of treatment which the Occidental Jews experienced is striking. The same emperors who persecuted Jews in the West scrupulously respected their customs in their own land. But the Jews were not content. They grumbled against the tribute, not because it was oppressive, but on the ground that it was irreligious. This state of things resulted in the great Jewish war of Vespasian, to which we shall come hereafter. Some other small vassal states were allowed to survive for a considerable time. The kingdom of Comagene in the north was not incorporated in the provincial system until 72 AD. The principality of Calchas, northwest of Damascus, survived still longer, until 92 AD. Abila, between Chalcis and Damascus, was annexed about 49 AD. Iamblichus of Emesa had been executed by Antonius shortly before the Battle of Actium, and his territory was at first annexed by Augustus to the province of Syria, but in 20 BC restored to a member of the native dynasty of Sampigaramus. It finally became provincial before 81 AD. At what time the Syrian state of Palmyra called in the Syrian tongue, Tadmor, came to be a Roman dependency, we cannot say for certain, but probably in the reign of Augustus. This flourishing city, situated in an oasis of desert, laid on the trade route from the Euphrates to the Mediterranean Sea, and was governed under Roman supremacy by its own municipal officers, until its destruction by the Emperor Aurelian in the 3rd century. Section 4. Egypt the death of Cleopatra, the last queen of the royal house of the Legidae, was followed by the conversion of Egypt from the condition of a vassal kingdom into a directly subject land. But although it is never counted with the imperial provinces, it never stood in line with the other provinces. It was the subject to the emperor in his own right, not merely as representative of the populace Romanus. Augustus ruled over Egypt, not as proconsul, but as the successor of the Ptolemies, a king all but in name, and the country always remained a sort of imperial preserve. The emperor was worshipped as a god by the Egyptian priests, according to the same forms which had been used in the cult of the royal Ptolemies. It was a logical consequence of this legal status of Egypt, as the emperor's private domain, that it should stand apart from the imperial provinces in its administration. Thus senators were disqualified to fill the post of governor. Hence the governor of Egypt did not hold the rank of a legatus, but only of a praefectus. 
He was in command, however, of three legions, and this was the only case in which legions were commanded by men of the equestrian order. But not only were senators excluded from the governorship, they were even forbidden to set foot in the land without permission of the lord of the land. This regulation, which also extended to equites illustris, was made by Augustus in self-protection. For, if a prominent senator wished to excite a rebellion, Egypt, through its immense resources and its geographical position, would have made a most favorable field for such an enterprise. The military importance had been abundantly approved in the Civil War. Whoever controlled the Egyptian ports could stop the corn supply on which Rome and Italy depended, and thus force them to capitulate without leaving Alexandria. And besides, Egypt was a country difficult to attack and easy to defend. It had the advantage of an insular position without being an island. The jealousy with which the emperors watched Egypt is illustrated by the fate of the first prefect, Cornelius Gallus, the poet. He allowed his name and deeds to be inscribed on the pyramids, and these indiscretions were interpreted as treasonable. Tried by the Senate, he was removed from his command, and his disgrace drove him to commit suicide. Augustus is reported on this occasion to have complained that he was the only citizen who could not show anger against a friend without making him an enemy. Besides the prefect, there was a Eurydicus to administer justice, and an officer called Idilogos to manage the finances. In organization also, Egypt differed from the other provinces. The system of the Ptolemies was continued. No municipal self-government was granted. City life was not encouraged, as in the rest of the empire. The country was divided into districts, nomes, which were placed under officers appointed by the government. No diet was instituted to represent the political views of the people. Under the Ptolemies, the native Egyptians had formed an inferior class, possessing no political privileges, and under the Romans, their condition remained the same. Upper Egypt extended to Elephantine on the Nile, and to Troglodytic Berenice on the coast, in the same line of latitude. This Berenice must be distinguished from Golden Berenice, far away to the south, opposite Aden, which, like Zula and Ptolemaeus Theron, were not included in the Roman Empire. The fertility of the land of the Nile was proverbial, and it brought in an enormous revenue to the imperial purse. Augustus did not reduce the heavy taxes which had been levied by his Greek predecessors, but by judicious improvements, along which must be especially mentioned the reopening and clearing of the Nile canals, he enabled the country to bear them, and Egypt soon recovered from the financial distress in which the rule of Cleopatra had plunged it. The chief product was grain, in which it supplied Rome. In the production of linen, Egypt rivaled Syria. In glass manufacturers it stood first and it supplied the world with papyrus. Excellently situated for traffic, Alexandria might claim to be the second city in the empire. As a center of commerce, she then stood at the head of all the cities in the world. The traffic of the east and the west met in her streets and on her quays. Greek philosophies and oriental religions mingled in her schools. The buildings were magnificent, above all the temple of Serapis, the museum, and the royal palace. There were attractions for the scholar, as well as for the merchant and the sightseer. The Greek library was the richest, and the Greek professors of the museums the most learned in the empire. Everything, a Greek writer says, 
was to be had in Egypt, wealth, quiet, sights, philosophers, gold, a museum, wine, all one may desire. There was a very large Jewish population in Alexandria, composing a distinct community with its own chief, entitled the Ethnarch, and the city was too often the scene of riots and tumults, as was wont to be the case where there were large colonies of Jews. The capture of Alexandria by Caesar was commemorated by the building of a suburb called Nicopolis, which served as a sort of fortress to command the city, as a legion was stationed there. The temple of Antonius, incomplete when the city was taken, was finished and dedicated to Caesar. At a later period, Augustus set up an obelisk in Alexandria, which survives to the present day, although no longer in its old station, under the name of Cleopatra's Needle. Egypt had been accustomed to reckon time by the regnal year of the Ptolemies, and the same system was continued under its new sovereign. The era of the first Roman ruler was counted, not from his day of victory, August 1st, 30 B.C., but from August 29th, corresponding to the first day of the month Thoth, which the Egyptians reckoned as the first day of the new year. Cleopatra survived during the greater part of August, and this circumstance may have determined the choice of the beginning of the new era. List of Provinces at the Death of Augustus 1. Senatorials A. Governed by Consular Proconsuls Asia, Africa B. Governed by Praetorian Proconsuls Sicily, Baetica, Narbonensis, Macedonia, Achaia, Bithynia and Pontus, Cyprus, Crete and Cyrene. 2. Imperial. A. Governed by Legati Augusti Praetorii. 1. Governed by Consular Legati, Terraconensis, Pannonia, Dalmatica, Moesia, Syria. 2. Governed by Praetorian Legati, Lusitania, Aquitania, Lungundanesis, Belgica, Galatia. B. Governed by prefects or procurators. Egypt, prefect. Sardinia in Corsica. Raetia, prefect. Noricum. Alpes Maritimae, prefect. Alpes Cotai, prefect. Judea, procurator. End of chapter 7, sections 3 and 4.